0: Welcome to Literary Quest, a podcast hosted by us, Vicky and Marissa, where we discuss our favorite and fantasy fiction and hopefully can direct you in your quest to find
1: your next great read. Welcome to Literary Quest. This week we are talking about a court of silver flames by Sarah J. Mass. It takes place in the Akatar universe. We are very excited to talk about this. Um, It is Nesta and Cassian's story. Um, The character descriptions in there, there's gonna be spoilers and references to the previous Akitar book, so just so you're aware. This is also going to be an After Dark episode. This book was very spicy. Um, So we will definitely be talking about um, sex scenes and there will also be cursing. All right, I'm gonna start with the characters this week. We have our main female lead, Nesta. She is Farah and Elaine's eldest sister. She was mortal but became immortal when she was forced into the cauldron by the King of Hyburn. She came out of the cauldron with an unknown dark power. During the war on Hyburn, she killed the King with the help of Elaine. Since the first book, she has been known for being cold, selfish, and ungrateful. She only cares for Elaine. After the War on Hybern, she became incredibly withdrawn and began drinking heavily. Our main male lead is Cassian. He is part of the Night Court and is in Rhysand's inner circle. He is the general commander of Rhysand's army and was a key part of the War on Hybern. He is considered to be one of the most powerful Illyrians in history. He has been dealing with unrest in the Illyrian camps. We have Farah. Nesta's youngest sister. She is mated to Rhysand in his High Lady of the Night Court. She and Elaine have tried to help Nesta by inviting her to live with them, spend time with them, and by trying to give her some advice. But Nesta has not wanted to interact. We have Rhysand. He is the High Lord of the Night Court. He is also known as the most powerful High Lord in history. He's mated to Vera. He has attempted to help Nesta by offering her jobs and positions in his court. However, by this book, due to Nesta's treatment of Feyre, he has settled for being coldly civil with her. Elaine is Nesta's younger sister. She's the middle child. She is mild and has a sweet temperament. She has also tried to help Nesta by trying to talk to her and include her. She enjoys gardening and cooking. Amran, she is currently High Thay, but was previously a Death Angel. She is in Rhysand's inner circle and is his second in command. She helped Nesta, Nesta, Learned magic in the previous books and was her friend, but they had a falling out. Azriel, He's another member of the Inner Circle. Like Cassian, he is a very powerful Illyrian. He is a shadow singer and Reese's spy master. Mor. Another member of the Inner Circle. She is third in command over the Night Court and runs Valeris as well as Hewn City. She is also the emissary for Valahan in this book. Lucian. He was originally from the Autumn Court, then he fled to the Spring Court, then was taken in by the Night Court after Feyre destroyed the Spring Court. He is also Elaine's mate, although she has so far rejected him. He is currently working to help the human realm. Clotho, she is the library's High Priestess. She had her tongue cut out and her hands severely injured by males. She found refuge at the library where females often go to heal after traumatic events. Eris. He is the heir to the Autumn Court, as well as Lucian's older brother. He is known for being cruel and awful, but his father is worse. His father has pledged his forces to Rialin, and Eris is working with the Night Court behind his father's back. Rialin is one of the human queens. She went into the cauldron after Nesta. However, since Nesta stole something from the cauldron, it was angry, and she came out as High Fae, but also as a crone. As a result, she hates Nesta and wants revenge. Gwyneth is one of the priestesses in the library. She has been there for two years and is healing from an attack. She and Nesta bond while working in the library. Emery, a shop owner in Winhaven, She and Nesta enjoy spending time together. She is Illyrian and her wings were clipped so that she could never fly, which was Illyrian custom before Reese made it illegal. And we have Koshi, bone carver's brother and a death god. Um, in terms of locations that we see, we go, we're in the night court. Resand and Feyre are the High Lord and Lady of the Court. Valeris is the capital of the night court. We spend time at the House of Wind, which is one of Feyre one of and Rhysand's home, homes. It is only accessible via flight, winnowing, or climbing 10,000 stairs. There's the library. It's a sanctuary for women that Reese created. No one can enter without the priestess's permission. We also visit the Bog of Orid. It is part of the middle and is an evil place where dark creature resides. For example, the Kelpies. All right, Marissa, would you like to take over the plot for this book? I would love
0: to take over the plot of this book. This plot took over a significant amount of my time it's hard to summarize a 758 page book y'all so here we go a court of silver flames begins early in the fall following the solstice in a court of frost and starlight with cassian knocking at nesta's door after being sent to retrieve her by Feyre and reese to bring her back to their estate where they have stage an intervention of sorts Nesta's behavior has been slowly spiraling in the months since Solstice, which culminated in a massive falling out between her and Amrin, the only member of the inner circle who she's maintained ties with. After Nesta signed off on a very large tab from her nightly visits to the local tavern uh, to be charged to Reese, Feyre decides that Nesta's behavior is no longer tolerable. At a loss for what to do, she and Rhys arrange for Nesta to move into the House of Wind, where she will begin the process of pulling her life back together by training with Cassian in the mornings at Windhaven, an Illyrian village, and in the afternoons, she will work with Clotho and the other priestesses in the library within the House of Wind. Nesta is, of course, furious, but her only alternative to the intervention is to return to the mortal realm to live amongst the humans, so she grudgingly concedes. In addition to his new responsibilities with training Nesta, Cassian will be taking on new responsibilities functioning as a courtier for the night Court, a role that he is not really comfortable in. Though the war with Highburn has ended, tensions remain high and the Fae countries on the continent are uninterested in signing a new treaty because the human queens are stirring up trouble and a war with the humans may present an opportunity for the Fae to seize their territory. Cassian attempts to begin training Nesta, and though Nesta does go with Cassian to Windhaven, she refuses to actually train with him, which is immensely frustrating to Cassian, but she does perform her duties in the library without much conflict. Cassian eventually realizes that Nesta will not train with him at Windhaven in front of other Illyrians because she does not want to appear weak or vulnerable in front of them. So he gives her the option to train in the arena on top of the House of Wind, and she chooses to actually participate. When she does, she realizes exactly how weak she is, but also... Training becomes an empowering experience for her, and she wants to be able to share that with other women who've been made to feel weak or vulnerable or attacked. During a visit to Windhaven, Nesta invites Emery, an Illyrian female and shop owner, who she had met before, to join her in her training. While she declines initially, she eventually joins Nesta, as does Gwyn, one of the acolytes from the library, and over time, several priestesses joined the training too. They quickly, so Nesta, Gwyn, and Emery quickly develop a friendship. They are bonded together by the unspoken trauma that they've experienced and by the brutal training that regimen that Cassian and Azriel put them through. While this is happening, Cassian and Nesta's relationship also begins to change and the attraction that Cassian has always felt for Nesta and that Nesta had denied or ignored in the past begins to grow. Nesta acknowledges her attraction to Cassian and they develop an intimate physical relationship but Nesta states that all she wants, that that is all she wants their relationship to be. Cassian begins to take on his role as a courtier beginning with speaking with Lucian Vasa, and Jurian regarding what they know about the mortal queens. He travels to the mortal lands where he runs into Eris, Lucian's eldest brother, at the manor that Lucian is staying at. Vasa suggests that Briallen, the queen who was made Fay but who was turned into the Crone after the cauldron stole her youth, is the one who's stirring up most of the trouble on the continent and is likely working with Koschei whose ultimate goal would be to free himself from the lake that he's trapped in and to ultimately gain dominion over the world. Eris reveals that a group of his highly trained soldiers have disappeared, and it seems likely that this is related to the trouble that's being stirred up with the mortal queens. Furthermore, he reveals that Baron, the high lord of the Autumn Court, has been working with Briallen on the continent as he has aims to expand his lands as well. Asriel discovers that Koschei has pointed Rialid toward the, de- the Dread Trove, which is a group of ancient weapons that were formed by- forged by the cauldron. They are c- comprised of the mask, with which one can raise the dead to command an army, the harp, which opens any door, be it a physical door or doors between planes in the universe, and the crown, which can be used to summon anyone and command them to obey your will with all of these items one would be invincible a supreme ruler free allen is already in possession of the crown and the harp and mask have been lost to time nesta is asked to scry for the relics but she is hesitant to do so because the last time she tried to scry elaine was kidnapped and she's afraid of harming someone close to her again When Nesta asks Feyre why she can't just go find the mask herself, Feyre reveals that she is pregnant and is unwilling to compromise the safety of herself and her child. While this is enormously happy news, Rhys later reveals to Asriel and Cassian that because Feyre had shapeshifted into the Illyrian form with wings when the child was conceived, fetus also has wings and there is no history of a fey female being able to deliver a winged Illyrian child without either the female or the child dying. While he looks for a possible solution to help save Feyre, Rhys and the rest of the Inner Circle, and even Nesta, when she finds out, decide not to share these potential dangers with Feyre. Nesta concedes, scries for the mask, and with considerable difficulty, she is able to find the mask in the bog of Urid in the Middle Land in Prithian. After nearly being murdered by a Kelpie, And she's also able to find the harp in the prison but she and Cassian are nearly killed by a ridiculously powerful creature called Lanthus. As Nesta progresses in her training to the point where she's able to wield weapons, Cassian takes her to a blacksmith so that she will understand the work and care that goes into the creation of weapons. And while there, she helps in the process of forging three weapons. Up to this point, fairly little is known about what powers Nesta still possesses and what she experienced in the cauldron. However, when the blacksmith frantically leaves the weapons that Nesta helped forge with Rhys, they discover that with whatever Nesta stole from the cauldron, she is able to, quote unquote, make weapons to imbue them with the power of the cauldron to forge great swords of old, which is both incredible and terrifying. Reese shares this with the inner circle, and with a, de- with a vote, they decide to share this information with Nesta, but not yet. With the possession of these swords, Amran pos- pressures Reese to use the weapons to declare himself the High King of Prithian, suggesting that he may be able to unite Prithian under the rule of a High King, which could bring more stability to the country and make them appear more formidable to the lands across the sea, possibly diverting any. Um, possibility of additional conflict, but Reese rejects this idea completely. Later, Cassian brings up sword naming to to Nesta, just sort of casually, and when she questions him on it, he reveals to her that she actually made magic weapons, and the inner circle decided to vote on whether to share the information with her. Nesta is furious at being discussed behind her back and at the idea of people voting to share information with her, but she is enraged when she finds out that Amran was one of the people who voted to withhold that information from her. In a fury, Nesta descends the 10,000 steps from the top of the House of Wind to the surface level of Prithian, runs to Amran's apartment, and confronts her. She feels so betrayed. Cassian and Farah also appear to try to defuse the situation, and in her anger, Nesta reveals to Farah the dangers that her pregnancy presents to her life, and that all of her friends were aware of the threat but chose not to tell her. Reese, in his anger with Nesta for revealing this information, suggests that Cassian get Nesta out of town before he kills her, and so Cassian retrieves a pack from the House of Wind and flies with Nesta to a nearby mountain range where they will be hiking, at this point, Nesta is eaten alive with self-loathing and hatred and despair, and Cassian begins to realize the real depth of Nesta's anguish, and in the course of their hike, it gives her the space to confront her feelings. When they reach their final destination, a lake, Nesta has an emotional breakdown where she speaks about her self-hatred, her guilt regarding her father's death, feeling like she could have betrayed or could have saved him but chose to let him die in her feelings of worthlessness and her trauma. And Cassian is there to give her the support that she needs to begin to heal herself. As Nesta begins to make enormous strides in emotional growth, she begins the process of making amends to those that she has harmed with her words and her actions. Winter solstice comes, and though there are still some uncomfortable moments, the solstice is considerably less tense and awkward than the last one, which we experienced in A Court of Frost and Starlight. Reese and and Farah host at the Riverfront House, and after the festivities end, Cassian finds Nesta and gifts her with a symphonia, a small device that traps music, which he has filled with songs that he knew she would love. She is overwhelmed by his kindness and thoughtfulness and attempts to give it back to him because she doesn't feel she deserves his kindness or his warmth. He is hurt by her, and she states that she does not believe she is worthy of Cassian, but instead of someone like Eris, who is a brute and who has recently petitioned to marry her. Cassian states that Nesta will not be with Eris, that there will be no one else for either of them, and Nesta agrees. They make love, and Nesta feels their souls becoming tethered to each other. The day after, Cassian leaves to go on his yearly snowball fight trip with Azriel and Reese over the course of the next week training training sessions continue and during one of their sessions Nesta Gwyn, and Emery end up successfully completing the obstacle course that the Illyrian males must complete complete to qualify for the blood rite and Lord Devlin the Illyrian commander from Windhaven is present to witness it in true misogynistic Illyrian form Lord Devlin does not respond well Nesta continues to progress and at start at the starfall ceremony at the house of wind she makes amends with Amron and apologizes for taking advantage of their friendship nesta and cassian's relationship continues to grow but when she struggles with acknowledging that cassian is her mate because she feels that acknowledging it will mean the loss of the last bit of her humanity they have a very public fight a very public fight she calls in a bargain that she made previously with Cassian and asks him to return to the house of Wind and to give her space. Nesta has Moore winnow her to Emery's house in Windhaven, where she promptly bursts into tears, and Gwen shows up shortly after, courtesy of Moore, to support her. During the fight, during the night, Gwen, Emery, and Nesta are attacked and taken from Emery's home. The following day, Cassian comes to Emery's house to make amends, but discovers the scent of males, signs of struggle, and the house in disarray. It would seem the blood rite has begun, and Nesta, Gwyn, and Emery have been forced to participate. Azriel, Amryn, Reese, and Pharaoh show up, but there's nothing that can be done. If Cassian attempts to remove Nesta from the rite, they will both be killed. On top of that, they discover that Eris, who has traveled to the continent to meet with of Briallen appears to be um, appears to have been taken hostage and is in the thrall of the crown. So Azriel and Cassian are tasked with spying and attempting to rescue him. As Rezand is unable to leave the country in Cassian's stead. He and Feyre made a bargain with each other in a court of frost and starlight, declaring that they would not live without the other. Meaning that if Reese leaves on this mission and dies, both Feyre and his unborn child will also die. Cassian is frustrated, but as there's nothing he can do to help with N- to help Nesta, he leaves on this mission. Nesta wakes up on the ground in the cold with no shoes and only a shift on. The only female, surrounded by a bunch of Illyrian males. And realizes how dire and serious the situation is. She is able to fight fairly brutally uh, to reunite with Emery and Gwyn, And they're able to reach Ramiel, the mountain that the entire blood ride is centered around. But Gwen is severely injured. Nesta realizes that the only way to save her friends is to separate from them. So she sets herself up at the Pass of alias where she fights off the Illyrian males who are attempting to attack them, while Emery carries Gwen to the top of Rameal, where they'll be winnowed to safety. Meanwhile, on the continent, Cassian and Azriel are bamboozled by Briallen, and when she uses the crown to compel Cassian to her will and has Koshe transport her and Cassian to Ramiel, she gives Nesta an ultimatum. She can give her the harp and the mask, or Bri Allen will compel Cassian to kill her. So will Nesta make it off Ramiel alive? Will she give up the mask and the harp to Bri Allen? What about Farah? Will she and Reese and their child survive the birthing process? If you want to know what happens, you'll have to read the book. This is your spoiler warning. All of the spoilers will be from here here on out. So
1: This book. Well, I started, I was so nervous about this book because I hated Nesta mm-hmm. so much, right? And for a decent amount of the book, I still hated her. <laughs> I did. I mean, it wasn't until probably like 50 or 60% through. I mean, like I was warming up to her, but it was like way late in the book when I was finally like, okay, I, I kind of like her, you know? <laughs> yeah she was she had a lot she, of
0: yeah I mean especially in the beginning she was pretty terrible yeah very like poor me everyone chose Farah over me Farah made her own family and has her own friends and oh yeah yeah not taking any accountability for her actions or why people would choose Feyre over her or recognizing that, I mean, the people around her have been trying to help her and she's essentially rejected all of them.
1: Right. And it takes her a while to realize like how her actions impact others and how much others do care. And that's frustrating, right? I mean, her arc is Um, character art and her growth is amazing in this book but it took a while
0: Uh, it did it did take a while but I mean I think that's reflective of the true nature of I mean even so behavior change takes time character change mm-hmm. takes time, growth takes time. And so even this is kind of on a compressed timeline because the, but the, like the events of this book are over, I mean, it's maybe like from fall to spring. It's about eight months, I think. Um, yeah. Which it's is not a year. right. So that's still for the amount of growth that she experiences a pretty compressed timeline. So, but you know, they're Faye and everything happens faster for them, I guess. So, but yes. I mean, I think that uh, you know, I think that it's written in a realistic way. You don't experience, you don't experience that growth, that change overnight. It does take time, and so mm-hmm. I think it would have been ingenuine to to write her character. I mean, if you fell in like fell in love with Farah or not Farah with Nesta in the first fifty pages, it would be like, well it wouldn't be realistic. And it wouldn't fit well with the character because we've spent so much time hating her. <laughs>
1: right, I agree. Like, I, I know like healing and trauma and everything takes time and it's not a linear process either. You know, like you have your setbacks, all of that. It's it just, it's felt like a very long time for a 750 page book, you know? Yeah. So like, I understand that realistically, this is how it works <laughs> <You know? laughs> in the real world. This is realistically how it works. But the 750 page book, I want like more, you know,
0: I would sort have been of. fine with this book being longer.
1: Yes. Yeah. I would I have been fine. I wish too. it had been. Um, but okay. Right. Like you said in the beginning, that's, it was like, she was not good <laughs> at <She's> all. Terrible. <laughs> she was. So one of my biggest things at the beginning, she says something about, um, Farrah choosing um, the inner court as her family. And this is what she says, as if things had been so miserable with the Archeron family that Farrah had needed to find another one. What? <laughs> yes, things had been that miserable. Do you not remember <laughs> how awful you treated your sister? Do you not remember how y'all were starving? Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and- Like, what? And then you begrudgingly really help. Like, you barely wanted to, and she was still human, and, you know, they came for them to help. Nesta was all upset about it. Like, what? Come on. Of course she would make her own family. Yes.
0: Why, yes, things were that bad, actually. (laughs) Yeah. It may not have felt like it to you, because you weren't out in the woods, freezing your ass off, trying to find dinner, but... It really was that bad. Yeah. So yes. I think it's interesting. So we talk about, uh, and we've talked about this with uh, multiple characters, not just in this series, but uh, finding your chosen family, not especially in situations like this, where your blood, your given family is actually not a great scenario, but finding people who you consider your family, even if you're not blood related to them. And we always kind of see that in a positive light. This is the first time that we've kind of looked at it from the perspective of the family that's being rejected, which is interesting because we like with Farrah, we like, yes, get you some people who love you and treat you with kindness. But now it's like, whoa, okay, I guess it might not feel great to be rejected. If you I guess if your your original family doesn't feel like it was really that bad.
1: Yeah. But those are also the consequences of your actions. Yes. (laughs) You know, sorry, but that's those were your actions and so that was one of the things that made it really hard at the beginning of this book to kind of get into it was that nesta um just taking no responsibility for anything right it was all all somebody else another example was her saying that elaine and amarin chose pharah right over her that's it's not what really happened i mean it's kind of what happened but like it you know yeah
0: um, I mean, but is it though? It's not it's not it's it, not- it, from Nesta's perspective, that's what happened. But Amran w- had Amran was always friends with Farah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Amorin was friends with Farah first. It wasn't her choosing Farah over or er, Nesta. It was Amran being tired of being taken advantage of in her friendship with Nesta, but Nesta doesn't have the ability at this point to reflect and doesn't have the self-awareness to realize that that's what's happened. Right. And so It's very frustrating.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, plus her not realizing the consequences of her actions, she's pushing everyone away. You mm-hmm. know, Amarin, um tries to help her. And I think um, they have that argument on the dock or on the boat that's referenced several times Mm -hmm. where she had said like she agrees with Farah, and Nesta's reaction was oh of course you do you pick Farah over this. And it's like that's not what it is. They're wanting what's best for you. Right. You know they're trying to figure out how to help you. Right. Another interesting thing so I'm curious what you thought about. There's uh, a couple times she says that like she's been denied a lot of choices and stuff in her life, like, that they denied her her choices, and I understand that, like, being thrown in the cauldron, turning turning Haifei wasn't her choice, but after that, like, they let her do her thing, you know, Mm -hmm. drinking, like, whatever she wanted, they, like, stepped back and were, like, give her space, Mm -hmm. so I didn't totally understand, like, where that came from, her saying, oh, they didn't, I had no chance or choices.
0: Yeah. I don't really, I don't, I don't know. When she said that, I'm not remembering specifically her saying that. When she said that, was she meaning that specifically after she had been made fey or
1: blue way I read it was from since her crossing over into, yeah, being high fey. Okay. I don't, yeah. I don't really know what
0: choices she feels like she's been denied i mean definitely she didn't have an option when she was forced to become Faye. so yes i will allow you a point there um (sighs) but i don't i don't know if she's like salty because they didn't uh, i don't know i don't yeah i really don't know i don't know if she expected them to like let her wander wherever she wanted to go within the other uh, yeah I don't know she kind of gives she comes off as being a little bit entitled to me in this part of the story Uh, because I mean it's like she she expects Reese and Feyre to fund her life basically and they do Mm -hmm. and then they cut it off and she's insulted like she charged $500 at a bar the night before. Like, that was the final straw. $500? Yeah. Or not dollars, whatever. Gold coin, I don't know. Whatever their currency is. I mean, she just comes off as feeling like because she was made Faye, it's their responsibility, I guess, to bankroll her life because it's not something that she chose. I, I mean, it definitely even just from where we were at in Frost and Starlight to where we are now it definitely seems like she's just kind of spiraling you know i mean and the talk she mentions it in the book like how much weight she's lost how much she's drinking she's not really eating things she talks about wanting to escape from her own head and at one point later in the book cassie i think brings up not realizing that she like had entertained the idea of just not existing anymore so I mean, part of me wonders if like, uh, she was just trying to be an antagonizing to maybe Reese and Farah by charging such a high tab, or if it was like an unconscious, maybe like desire to be helped, <laughs> like, yeah.
1: Or maybe just like pay attention to me, even if it's yeah. negative
0: attention. Right. I don't know. I just like, I was, I guess floored maybe by the <laughs> Nesta's audacity, like, she just takes no responsibility for her actions, and F- Farah's like laying it out for her. Like, this is it's an embarrassment for her. How are people going to look to her and Reese to lead their country if they can't even manage her sister? Like, and then I don't know, I, I don't know, it just made me so angry. Like, Farah has done everything that she can think of to try to help Nesta. And even to the point where it's like, okay, I'm trying to help you and it's not working. So I'm just going to leave you alone and we'll see if that works. Um, and then Nesta throws it in her face and charges that huge tab. And Feyre is like, okay, this is enough. We can't keep doing this Oof, don't that just really. blew all over me. Like she's done, Feyre has done so much despite being repeatedly treated like crap by Nesta continues to try to help her and
1: Nesta just blows
0: it back at her every single time.
1: She has so much resentment towards like Reese and Farah. And I don't totally understand why. Um, I don't know if it's so much jealousy or if she's just kind of a jerk and holding grudges for something. I, I don't know where that intense bitterness comes from and resentment towards Farah and Reese for her. Yeah. Um, I don't really understand why she
0: dislikes Reese so much either, unless it's just, I mean, uh, unless it's just like a clash of their personalities. And I could see that. So Reese uh, or Reese is very, I mean, he's the strongest high Lord there is. And he, uh, he's the leader of their region. And like, he's a very, um, commanding presence and he, because I mean, his job is high Lord, like he makes the decisions right. And so I don't know if it's just that Nesta who also has very strong personality, just kind of clashes with the idea of uh, being under dominion of another person (laughs) like that. I mean, just being told what to do, basically, when she's been the one that is making all the decisions up to this point. Um, And I don't remember any, I don't remember any specific clashes happening between them. But um, in terms of just like Nesta's personality, I could see it, it being sort of related to the way that she was raised. So in this book, what's nice is that we get to see or we find out we don't really get to see, but we find out a little bit more about what the Archeron sister's mother was like. And so we find out that Their mother was actually really close to Nesta and was basically grooming her to be uh, like someone who would marry another high ranking person, like with the expectation of her marrying a prince, like that was the the direction that she wanted Nesta's life to go in. And so um, because of that, she was, you know, raised and treated like she was better than her other sister's. And so with the idea that she would have more. And so now her sister, who was, she she called her a heathen in the the first book, within like the first 30 pages, she's calling Pharaoh a heathen, is the queen. And she is the high lady and is mated with the strongest dude in the land. And Nesta is dependent on her for support again. And I bet that, Chafes, a bet that that bothers her. A doubt that she was ever really able to escape her mother's expectations for her. And so maybe when she interacts with Pharaoh and she sees how great Pharaoh's life is and real and like just has to acknowledge that she's dependent on her for things, just like she was dependent on her for food and warmth and shelter when Pharaoh was a teenager, her resentment of her and the heathen who her mother ignored just builds and builds and builds i think that's where some of the hostility to pharah comes from
1: that makes me a little bit of what you said makes me think of how um she dances with eris right at hewn city and cassian thinks oh she looks like she's made for this to like marry a prince you know, Mm -hmm. and he has some like insecurity issues there. And I just wish that had been explored more in this book because Cassian has some moments in this book where I'm like, oh, like, and I want to get more of it. So there's a part where he says he wants what Reese and Feyre have, you know, Mm. he he wants that. And then he refers to himself as a brute several times. Like these, there, he has his own like trauma and insecurities and stuff that are never really addressed in this book. Um, which I found interesting because it is supposed to be like a Nessian book.
0: I wish that we had gotten to see more from Cassian's perspective, especially like you mentioned, you know, he refers to himself as a a bastard and a brute a lot. And so obviously, like even after 500 years after being like the commander of the Illyrian armies, you know, I mean, he's Part of the inner circle. Like he's got a really and not just because he's friends with Reese, but because he's really freaking good at his job. He's got all of these like fantastic things and he still has this insecurity. So it would have been nice to have that sort of exploration. I would love for us to get like I recognize that this is it's the story of Cassian and Nesta, but the bulk of this book is about Nesta's growth. And so I get why maybe she, as Sergei Mass, left that out for this book. But my hope is if she's left it out in this book, that we'll get to explore that a little bit in the next book or at some point, because I do think it's important. You know, all of our characters have experienced some sort of um, trauma.
1: Yeah. I felt like in this book, so in Akamoff, right, we get, Reese talking about his feelings like in that one scene in the cabin I felt like we got more emotion and learning about Reese Mm -hmm. and like in that section right there than we did in this entire book for Cassian yeah and part of this book is from Cassian's point of view right (laughs) so it's like why I mean like how I mean that was like what two or three chapters or something and we've got An entire book, several, quite a bit of it is from Cassian's point of view. Mm And we get none of that emotional development. Yeah. Which is, it was just disappointing to me.
0: Yeah, I agree. I would have liked to see more of that emotion. We got so much growth from Nesta. I wish that we could have gotten like a little bit from Cassian.
1: I mean, I would have even liked to see more of him doing his job and more about the unrest in the Illyrian camps. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, any of that. No.
0: I would so this book had a lot more smut in it than the other one's have, which yeah. I love. But I do feel like um I do feel like in in some of Cassie and scenes we get kind of those those episodes where it's like it's more focused on sex than It's
1: interesting that you bring that up because one of um Somebody said in like one of the comments or something, they called him a fey bro, because so many of his chapters are focused on his, his attraction to Nesta and his erections. <laughs> I love
0: Cassian's character. When you see fey characters, you just kind of get this like idea of they're just really smooth when it comes to handling situations. And I thought it was hysterical. There were a couple of situations where Cassian was communicating with Nesta and it went very badly. It's like where did all the smoothness go
1: no, I mean, <laughs> there's that um, one scene where he tells her everybody hates her yeah like, <laughs> that was her, like including him he's like I really?
0: that's why everybody hates you Nest. yes
1: I was so, <laughs>
0: I mean, just the way that he communicates, he's very, and I I do, I like that about his character. I like that he's just, I mean, he's very honest and that's part of what, because becomes so problematic with him trying to be a courtier is he carries all of his emotions on his face. He's very, you know, he doesn't mince words. He's honest. He tells it like it is. And so like when he's talking to Nesta about the swords, and he tells her like, "Yeah, we voted on it." And it's like, "Oh, Cassian, <laughs> bless your heart." No, 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 baby, you you shouldn't have said it that way. <laughs> and it blows up. And then again, when they're they're uh, towards the it well before the fourth part, when he they're they're um, walking around Valeris holding hands, and he she doesn't want to acknowledge that he's her mate. Um, because she, she doesn't, she feels like that'll be the loss of her last bit of humanity. And he's like, well, I'm shackled to you too. Oh, (laughs) oh baby. No, you shouldn't have said it that way. And he says, I didn't, I didn't mean it that that came out wrong. It's Like, yeah, it's like, I mean, and that's, I, that's really relatable to like relationships in general. I feel like we've all had that conversation with our partners, like significant other, where it's like you you say something and immediately want to put the words back in your mouth.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Like it's I just, mean, it's a very honest interaction. It is.
1: So when Farah calls Nesta and ask her to look for like the uh, dread troves, dead, mm-hmm. dread troves, right? Dread troves. Yeah. a really um, hard time saying that in my mind. <laughs> right?
0: I wanted to call it the dead trove. Yeah. Dread so, trove. The R's messed
1: me up. Yeah. Um. So they're all in a meeting, right, about it. Mm-hmm. And Nesta's refusing to go. And Elaine says that she will go. And they had just gotten in a fight, like, a couple chapters earlier about, like, Elaine not doing much in her life. Mm-hmm. And now Nesta's saying, no, Elaine, you can't go. And Elaine, standing up for herself on in this, she tells Nesta, I went into the cauldron too, you know, and it captured me. And yet somehow all you think of is what my trauma did to you. And she also says, I remember Feyre rescuing me. She also says, you cannot resent my decision to lead a small, quiet life while also refusing to let me do anything greater. I was like go Elaine. Yeah. You know, like this is the first time we've really seen her with like a backbone and saying, you know, and she's got a really good point here about Nesta making her trauma about her. You know, I thought that was a great point. And then the part where she's saying, you can't tell me that you can't deride me for saying that I'm leaving in quiet life and then saying I can't do anything better. Right. I was just like, go Elaine. You go. Yes. But then Nesta Ask Feyre, why don't you do it? Yeah, for real. That I was so like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? So I was so annoyed because it's not like Feyre has sacrificed so she died. Her mate. She died. freaking died. They <laughs> have sacrificed so much to get where they are. You know, like she's free. Well, I don't think at the time that they know she's pregnant. But anyway, she's that's where she's it's revealed she's pregnant, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, but I mean, even for her to suggest that anyway, that's like, oh, thanks for like, you know, saving the entire world, but how about you go do this instead? Do it again. Yeah. And then Cassian says later on, he was like, oh, he understands like Ness's uh, decision because if it had been, he had to pick between him going or sending one of his brothers, he'd go. And I'm like, but she, she only picked Elaine. Like yeah. if, if Farrah had said, oh yeah, I'm going to go do it. Nesta wouldn't have had a problem with it at all she'd be like bye yeah she was so ready to just throw Farah back into harm's way Mm -hmm. Oof! I was mad I was too but super proud of Elaine yeah at that moment
0: I was too you know uh this point gets made several times in this book it seems like where uh Elaine isn't interesting enough Mm -hmm. which is funny because I mean she's not but they make this point and then at one point nesta says well good job elaine you're finally interesting i feel like this is a point that's gonna come up either i feel it i guess you know we don't know what the next books are gonna be but at some point i feel like sarah j mass is gonna make elaine interesting it would be like oh okay well i guess she was interesting you know We're only just, you know, after three books and a novella getting a little bit of character development in Elaine though. So I feel like because it it got mentioned so many times that Elaine was uninteresting and then suddenly became interesting, that that's probably where we're going in the future. (laughs) Yes. With Elaine being interesting. And I will say, I feel like that's kind of an, that's definitely an insult. (laughs) You're just not interesting. Um, People can be interesting and be quiet about it well and I think that's a, a lot of where Azriel's connection with her comes in they're both I mean they're they're not like your front and center people they're both kind of behind the scenes and quiet about their things and and I feel like that's I don't ship them in a, in a relationship, but I feel like they could be a good option in terms of being friends for each other because they, they do have those similarities in their personality, it seems. It's quietly supportive. Just, in Azriel's chapter, I loved Reese pulling rank. Mm-hmm. That was people, great. People hated him for it. I know. There was a lot of Reese hate. And yeah. I don't understand, like, he's doing his job. Yeah, You know, this is not, this perspective on these books is not the same as the first three in the series where it was, it was about Farah and Reese's love story, right? It was about their growth and their relationship. Well, and a lot of Farah's growth, but uh, it's about their relationship. And so we get a lot of these really sweet moments between them and we get a lot of vulnerability from Reese because we get a lot of his internal dialogue. But in this book, this is not that book. Like, this is Reese being the High Lord of the Night Court and being the strongest fae dude around and
1: doing his job. Yep. And pulling rank. He's not gonna jeopardize his tenuous truce or whatever with Lucian mm-hmm. so that Azriel can fuck Elaine or something, you know? Right. Like- yeah. Well, he shouldn't.
0: And I... And- the inner like the he's friends all of the people in his inner circle they're his friends but they have jobs to do too like Mm -hmm. and you can't compromise the stability of the entire country so you can get
1: laid (laughs) yeah and it they understand that too none of them seem like horribly upset by it you know right like Cassian even you know uh Reese shows up and is like get her out before I fucking kill Nesta yeah you need to leave and take her and Cassian isn't like oh that was so mean of him he's like yeah okay I got it you're right you know so and he doesn't blame Reese for any of that they understand their own places and stuff and they are not resentful of him plus you know it could be so much worse it could be the autumn court or something yeah it could be Baron yeah he's It's
0: awful. Um, you have to be a leader. You have yeah. to put like the safety and the stability of your country above Asriel's dick. Yeah. Azriel has some pretty funny little moments in this book too. So after, um, after, oh, El- not Elaine. What's her name? Nesta. So Nesta gives... Cassie in a blowjob at the dinner table mm-hmm. which is funny but I, I feel like Asriel we just see him being so quiet most of the time and he says you let her suck your cock in the middle of the dining room at a table I'm currently using to eat my dinner I'd say that entitles me to an opinion like
1: yeah like, he was he was pretty uh he had some attitude
0: we get a lot more just, like, gratuitous sex in this book, which I'm on board with. Like, let's do it. Yeah, let's definitely. Go. Their first interaction, I think, was one of the hottest ones in the book, where she, like, gives him a hand job basically.
1: Mm-hmm. And then she kind of runs away from him. Yeah. Yeah. And he feels bad. Yeah, because then he didn't get to reciprocate. Yeah. Right? And he was like, oh, my God, if they ever find out like i'm in so much they're gonna make fun of me <laughs> yeah. so he has to make it even
0: yes even the score mm-hmm. yeah i mean that that i don't know i like i like the the penetrative scenes uh but the ones that lead up to it mm-hmm. i love those i mean it's like being teased basically or um, it's like foreplay, I guess. I don't know. Just kind of the building, the anticipation, the um, the tense moments. Without, I don't know. It, they were they were really well written, and I really enjoyed
1: them. Yeah. So did I.
0: I felt defensive of Cassian when he took Nesta to, to train, mm-hmm. and she like refused. But at the same time, I had other thoughts. So one. Did they really expect her to fall in line on day one? Right. Really? Two. uh, I wouldn't want to train in front of the illyrians either. They're terrible. They mm-hmm. are awful. I would not want to get up and possibly be embarrassed in front of them either. I don't blame her.
1: Yeah, when it came like when they like took her or when he took her to Windhaven, And was like, oh, you know, this is where we're going to train. I was like, why, why would you take her there? Why would you take like what there you're taking her there around all these like Illyrians who think females are shit. Like what, like what is, what is the purpose of this? Yeah. So that was my, and then, you know, he figures it out later on. um, But I was still like, you know, embarrassed for him and upset that she embarrassed him and like undermined him. Yeah, you know, I understand her reasoning, but I think it was dumb of them to begin with to try to get right. her there. Yeah. Like, come on. Well, I, mean, I think because he still kind of needed to keep an eye on the Illyrians, right? Yeah, maybe so. Maybe it had to do with that. I don't know.
0: Well, maybe they say though in the beginning they say like Reese tells Cassian that he did a good job handling the tensions it between within the Illyrian camps last, during the spring. So that you know, conflict that seemed to be brewing in Frost and Starlight seems like it's kind of resolved as much as it can with these people. They're constantly stirring the pot, but I don't know. I don't know whose idea this was, but it was not a good idea.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I'm still a little bit confused about what our magic is exactly.
1: Yeah, I mean, so when Reese, like, interrupts her nightmare, right, and he says, oh, it's pure death, but that's never super duper expanded on. But yeah, there's no real like explanation of what her power is like that. It's pure death, but what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, she uses it, she gives it all back, right? To save Mm Feyre at the end. Um, But that was another thing people online were like, oh, she gave it all back, but she never wanted the power. She hated it.
0: Yeah, she's like, terrified.
1: Yeah, she's terrified of it. She hated it. So I thought that was appropriate. Her giving it up and then her, I thought it was really sweet that she changed um, her anatomy along with Thera's so this would never be an issue again. I really liked that scene where she finds the mask, Um and she, so it's from her point of view, and she has this refusal to die. She's like, "I won't die," you know, that she's can like convinced of it she's got this um strength behind it and i really loved that and it reminded me of bridge kingdom uh cockroach little oh, cockroach okay. just being like i'm not gonna die it reminded me a bit of that um so yeah her refusal to die and it reflected what happened in the cauldron too when she went to the cauldron right you know her she's like i'm not gonna die i'm not gonna be beaten by this yeah so i yeah. thought that was that was great I
0: agree. And that comes back up even in the end when she's defending the, when she's defending Gwen and Emery at the passage of an alias and she's fighting with his name's Bellius, I think. And he's like, he's, at this point, she's taken down like 12 other dudes. And she's exhausted and he's a super strong fighter. And he comes in and she's like, I really don't want to die. Like I said, I was going to be okay with letting them pass and letting the, like letting Gwen and Emery be the people that lived. But now that we're here, I really don't want to die. And she just keeps trying to fight back.
1: Around that same time where she finds the mask and everything, she starts to, we start to really see her character change. Um, at least, I, I mean, we've been seeing it change, you know, slowly but we have this moment where um she greets farah right and like nicely civilly and uh farah looks surprised and she has this thought have i acted so horribly that even greeting my sister civilly is surprising to her we really start seeing this change in her you know taking this responsibility for things and opening her eyes and seeing what's been going on you know um seeing kind of beyond herself which when you're depressed and you know and you have trauma and ptsd and everything it's hard to see beyond yourself and beyond what you're feeling right right so we see her start to change in this way and that was that was good yeah I thought. agreed and
0: that's Amron makes that point to her like she makes a point to her about being able to reflect and um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so that it's nice that i mean yeah she just develops that self awareness that she didn't have before. Yeah. Can you imagine how daunting that would be to start to make amends for being all horrible. of the hurt, yeah. yeah. All of the hurt that she's caused. That would feel overwhelming, I would think.
1: I felt like she managed to. um, kind of do all that by just saving Farah, right? Her saving pharaoh was, I've also been bringing this background to people, I've seen people criticizing it, um, that like, oh, of course her redemption centered around Farah. but to me it makes sense because Feyre's the one that she's been, like, the worst to and so she needed that redemption with Farah, you mm-hmm. know? And that shows, like, her ultimate sort of emotional growth, you know? Right. I thought, anyway, um, Being able, she tells Pharaoh that she loves her. Yeah, you know, she went from hating. I mean, I don't know if she ever says she hates Pharaoh, but you know,
0: being she definitely resents her. Yeah,
1: being resentful and everything, and And, is
0: so unkind to her.
1: Yeah, and so we see, like, you know, the scene on the mountain shows how, like, she's badass Valkyrie and she can protect her friends. And then the this birth scene where she saves Pharaoh also shows that she's emotionally healing you know from her past interactions as well so what do you think of eris he's i was just about to bring (laughs) him up
0: so i during the first reread of the akatar books i didn't really pay much attention to him but in the second read i noticed a lot more about his character and it definitely seems like he's more complex than we're being you know than he's initially introduced as and i don't think i don't think you know, he's as terrible as he's been, he's led them to believe or that he's been portrayed as. Um, And we get inklings of that in, I think it's a Court of Wings and Ruin when they have that meeting with him at the Hewn City. And so I feel like this book just brought even more
1: mystery to his character. I wonder, so we know from like Greek mythology and stuff. Eris is the goddess of discord yeah. and chaos. And we kind of see that with him a little bit, going back and forth between the autumn court and the night court, you know? Yes. So I wonder, and we know that, I think it was a, originally, this was um, kind of a Hades and Persephone book. We've connected it to that before, the original three, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So I I wouldn't be surprised if she kind of named him that because of that, if maybe it's a little bit of foreshadowing or something. Yeah, maybe so. I really
0: enjoyed the scene between him and Nesta. Um, they're just like when they go to the Hewn City period and and Nesta is basically being paraded around to try to, I don't know, assure heiress of their alliance.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I really enjoyed that scene. The just des- just the description of like the decorations, the clothes, like the setup, the music. It was written so well. I felt like I was there. Yep, it was lovely.
1: Yeah, I agree, and I I love that Nesta is able to get him to do uh, try to propose.
0: Yeah, after like three dances, even Vera's like she danced with him three times. <laughs> 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 and I like the description of like the the dialogue that's happening internally as Eris is like offering to marry Nesta to Reese, like Cassian's like like they're all having this internal dialogue, communicating in their heads, and it's just so funny. Oh, let's go back to when she finds the mask in the bog. This scene stress me out so much. So when they're, when Azriel and Cassian are flying in and they spend the whole time talking about how deadly everything in the middle is, mm-hmm. everything will kill you. And then Cassian drops Nesta off in a tree so he can go help Azriel fight. And she's in the tree for five minutes and she's like, Nope, he's dead. I'm getting down and I'm going to go fight. Like, what did they just say? <laughs> what did they just say everything here will kill you
1: everybody warns her too like pharaoh warned her about it before she went right pharaoh gave her a warning and then they're both saying like oh all these horrible things are here like everything
0: will kill you they talk about the kelpie they talk about all this other terrible stuff like everything will kill you nope i'm getting down they're dying and i'm gonna like no baby no you need to stay in a tree stay in a tree (laughs) What yeah, does she I, do? She
1: gets down. And then is immediately attacked by a yes! Kelpie. <laughs> like, immediately. She just, like, She like takes a step and the Kelpie's like, mine.
0: Yes, yeah. Well, and, and Cassian even talks about the water. He's like, definitely don't go swimming. That's not, don't get in this water. It's a bad idea. What does she do? Walks into the water. Like, <laughs> why? He just said, don't get in the water
1: yeah
0: follow instructions nope forget it I, I look at this water I guess I'll just get in there like no no and she's immediately attacked the girl yeah I think it's interesting that Sarah J Mass uses the wolf analogy for both of the Archeron sisters mm-hmm. so with Farah, the wolf Was symbolic of like strength and empowerment for her. She says she became the wolf. She became like it was it was empowering to Fera, and that became even symbolic in like when she defends the the rainbow. You know, she makes water into wolves. She makes that they're her water wolves that she uses to defend the defend the bridge. So there, it's a very strong symbol for her. And in this book, we have nesta comparing herself to the wolf but it's not necessarily it's not really a symbol of strength it's a symbol of um almost like a feralness so she mentions uh she says so nesta had become a wolf she armed herself with invisible teeth and claws and learned how to strike faster and deeper and more le- lethally and had relished it. But when the time came to put the wolf away. She found that it had devoured her too. I, I, you know. It, the imagery for Nesta. And the wolf. Is a lot more. Like related to an animal. That's been injured. And is striking out to defend itself. To protect itself.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: She uses her words. And her <laughs> finger of death. Um, those are her claws. That's how she she defends herself. And so I, I like the contrast there. Um, From the wolf being something so empowering for Feyre to being, uh, I mean, almost something that's a little bit crippling for Nesta, for a, uh, a defense. Like I said, we learn a lot more about their mother in this book. So after finding out how terrible she was and how awful their grandmother also was, and she was even worse than their mother, and how much time Nesta actually spent with them, do you think like she ever really stood a chance at being a decent person without having some type of
1: intervention. I, I think that losing everything probably should have been like a kick in the butt, you know? Um, Yeah, definitely difficult. You know, you were raised basically to be a princess and be a queen, but you get knocked down. And I think that she did have, I mean, she had the opportunity, opportunity to adjust and she thought she was too good for it and you know I thought yeah that came from her mom and her grandma but it wasn't like she was so young you know like she was old enough to be be able to think critically for herself Mm -hmm. and be able to be like okay this is how I need to adapt now those are my thoughts on it yeah I mean
0: yeah, I don't know. I just like, I, th- I think understanding what her interactions with her mother and her grandmother were like, give her behavior, let's say prior to being made, give her behavior, her awfulness, some context. But yeah, I, d- I think that she had an opportunity to, you know, grow after her mother died. And I don't know. I, it's almost like her, I feel like she was maybe influenced by like her mother's perceptions of her father. And that's what translated into how she treated her father after they lost everything and her mother died. And from that, how she treated Farah. Yeah. So I feel like she had probably a codependent relationship with her mother and was emotionally manipulated maybe Um, to try to act in accordance with like her mother's expectations. And it kind of seems like her mother was just generally, it may be unsatisfied with their father or their station in life. And I think that she maybe projected that onto Nesta. And so when their mother dies that like, who, how does Nesta decide who to like live her life for? And what is she, like, what are her actions for at that point? And so, I think she ended up blaming their father because their mom was kind of like perpetually displeased with him. And so because Feyre behaved more like their father and was closer with their father, I think that that sort of automatically put Feyre in, in bad circumstances with Nesta. So I don't think, I, mean- I don't think any of that context absolves Nesta for being awful, but it does help me understand her a little bit better. I agree.
1: It helps me understand where she's coming from. She clung to so much to who she thought she was supposed to be. Right. She wasn't able to adapt. Yes. At all. Which I think also made her transition into Haifei a lot more difficult for her. Yeah. Yeah. As well. She Definitely. Just isn't, she just isn't good, I guess, at adapting to changes. I suppose
0: not like our Farrah <laughs> good old Farrah. And that brings me to our next point. When the inner circle was hiding the seriousness of Farrah's pregnancy from her, I was furious I was so angry with them. Like I, I guess I understand that Reese felt like he needed to do it to protect her and to not want to take any happiness from her, but oh, w- people deserve to know the things that are happening with their bodies, and that to me is so is so. I just don't understand. Like, what was the plan? Were they just never gonna tell her? Were they gonna wait until she went into labor and be like, oh, and by the way, you're probably gonna die. Like yeah. what what was the like what was the plan? Were they ever gonna tell her? It made me so angry.
1: It felt it just felt really out of character. I agree. It was just out of character, I think, for everyone. It was really kind of disrespectful to Farah. Yes, and
0: I just don't, I didn't understand why they chose to lie. She was going to find out eventually, and to me, that's such a huge, oh, I would feel so betrayed in that situation if I was Feyre. She ends up adapting, which even Cassie and Heat. so uh, when she finds out, it's after Nesta, confronts amarin about you know voting to not tell her that she made magic weapons and she if shows up to try to defuse the situation and nest is like oh and by the way you could die and your friends all knew about it and no one said anything to you and i um she feels really really bad about it and it, it's at that point that cassian takes off with her to the mountains. And he he contacts her like later with their little mind leak or whatever just to kind of check in. And he says about Feyre not falling apart when she finds out about it. He says she might have been hurt startled by the news, but she was indeed adapting to it and would not let it make her cower and cry. He didn't know why he expected any less of her. Like did y'all forget who she was i mean this is Pharaoh, who's been taking care of herself since she was like 13 years old who uh killed this massive wolf which started all of this who defeated amarantha who defeated the Midgard worm who died who helped with Um, the war against hibern who became the high lady who dismantled the spring court by herself like did y'all forget who our queen is i mean i was just i was a floor like i'm hot right now (laughs) i'm sweating it still makes me angry what is wrong with you people she's amazing did you think she couldn't handle this and she just rolls with it like I would have set the I would have set the damn house on fire like <laughs> <laughs> that that made me so mad when they started lying to her I was like mm, no you can't lie to my queen like this.
1: Aaron was not I didn't like her in this book not that I didn't like her she just pissed me off yes um in this book not only with the way that she spoke with nesta and she spoke to cassie in this way at one point she she like kind of forces the idea of um reese becoming high king on him and she's like you need to like you should think about this and he's like so overwhelmed with everything that's going on right right
0: he's an adult (laughs) he's like over 500 years old he can make decisions She bothered me a couple of times here too. Especially when she was pushing, like Reese and Feyre have had to fight so hard just to be happy and alive together. Mm -hmm. And it frustrates me when she's pushing so hard, the idea of having a high king. And it's like, he really does not need one more thing on his plate at this point.
1: Yeah. It was the worst time to do it, too. Like, he's trying to find a way so that his wife and child don't fucking die. Yeah. And she's like, hey, how do you feel about being the king of everything? Like, <laughs> what? I mean, at that point, he probably feels like, I mean, I can't even get my own, like, personal house in order. I can't even keep my uh, mate and child alive. You want me to somehow rule over everything? I feel like a lot of people or at least a lot of... I mean, not a lot. We just see some of the characters in this book not acknowledging, I guess, how much Reese and Farrah really have gone through to get where they are. They both died. Yeah, they both <laughs> died. Let them fucking be happy, okay? Leave them the fuck alone so that they can enjoy each other, you know, and enjoy having their lives. I mean, like, yes, they have responsibilities as High Lord and High Lady, but why try to push more responsibility on them like that. Mm -hmm. It hasn't even been it's been like what a year and a half since the war on hyburn or something.
0: I want to talk about the Valkyrie plot line or the Valkyrie point that they they started in this book. So the culmination of their training being their forced entry into the blood right. So I like how they're able to use the teamwork. They're able to take the principles that they talk about um, as part of their training. Uh, I loved the, the description of the history. So I like that they're able to take the, the story, which the blood rite originated from with the past of Analias. And that's where Nesta makes her last stand to protect her friends. I like that we ex- that Nesta experiences so much growth. And that we get this moment from the beginning where she resents Feyre for having a, her chosen family to the end where now Nesta has her own chosen family and the sacrifice that they make and all of that. And I think it's really interesting. And I didn't notice this until last night when I was looking back through that there are three different stages to becoming a Valkyrie. So there's the novice, the blade and the Valkyrie. And that's, those are the names of the first three, the, thir- the first three books or sections in this book. So the first part is called novice and the second part is called blade. And the first part is, or the third part is called Valkyrie. I thought that was a really clever way for her to kind of weave that in. I really like how she may, na- like, I like the, the naming of her blade. So she calls her blade ataraxia, which means inner peace. What do you think of that as a name for a blade?
1: I love it. Um, (laughs) I do. Um, So I think maybe it's more for um, like the symbolic um, piece that Nesta uh, feels um, with. Because when she starts to she learns how to use weapons and stuff. This be- becomes her therapy, you know? Yeah. So it becomes a way for her to find peace and to practice and stuff like that. So I feel like that's more likely why she named it Inner Peace. Either that or she was just like, this is funny. I'm going to yeah. name it Inner Peace. You know, <laughs> it very well may have just been like, ha ha, this is a joke. You know? Yeah. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I think it, I think it probably ties into like the piece that she finds from training. So Mm -hmm. they, they talk about like the mind stilling in this book, which is a technique that the Valkyries use to promote like that inner stillness um, to develop that, to help with their focus when training. It reminds me a lot of like meditation, um, which is and, and like focused breath work, which is a really effective and a lot of times people incorporate like focused breath or meditative strategies or things like that, when they're learning to cope with anxiety or mental health issues. And so I like, I feel like for her, ataraxia is probably like a physical embodiment of the stillness that she's been working on crafting for herself. Cause she says multiple times, like she just wants to get out of her head. Um, And the connection to the weapon and the training that she incorporates, she talks about connecting each of her movements with her breath, and then at the end, connecting the de- the deaths of the people that she's killing with with like an inhale or an exhale. And so, I think it's like a like a physical representation of the the stillness, the peace that comes with that training,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is a, it's a healing process for her.
1: I really, one of the things that I really liked about this was that um, Sarah um, Mass gave her multiple coping mechanisms and coping skills Mm -hmm. in this book, um, which is great because in real life, it's not just one thing. It's not just seeing a therapist. It's not just meditation. It's a lot of things all together that help you overcome your trauma. Yeah. You know? So I really love that Mass included um, these mul- multiple aspects that help Nesta. I like Cassian's role
0: in her recovery, well, recovery, in her healing process, not as he does a good job of being supportive for her without being a crutch or the thing that is motivating her to heal. I like that. And I feel like we get that sometimes when we're looking at romantic relationships and books, where the main character is struggling with some type of trauma using the love interest as a crutch. Um, we talked about trauma bonding before. Um, I like that Cassian serves as a support for her, but he
1: is not the thing healing her. Um, So talking about healing, that final like I guess um, culmination of everything with her on the mountain, right? And hiking. Man, I cried. (laughs) That's where. That's where I I I cried. Did you not?
0: I didn't. Surprisingly, I did did not cry. cry. I didn't cry.
1: You didn't cry reading this book.
0: I did not. I was surprised.
1: I cried twice.
0: I know. That's why I was
1: surprised. Yeah, I am too. Okay. So um, that culmination of everything on the hike where she finally breaks down, lets herself feel everything, lets all of her emotions out and finally confronts everything. You know, she's kept everything so bottled up Mm -hmm. and this really exposes her self-loathing, all of her insecurities and all of that. And my heart really went out to her and I cried for her. It was a good scene because we've been, we saw through the book, her, we see her struggles throughout the book. Her We do see her self-loathing, but we don't really get her full acknowledgement of it mm-hmm. until this hike, until this like scene where, um, you know, she actually speaks about everything. Yeah. So we also learn about why she hates the sound of like fire sounds like her father's neck snapping that was never really explained you know we just knew she didn't like fire so this was just such a beautiful well, I don't want to say it's really beautiful
0: but it was just right. it was a
1: great scene it it was it was
0: the way that it all pulled together mm-hmm. um, in this big moment for her it was so it was so well written it was real. I mean like I didn't cry it definitely made like I felt things so like it was it's like an emotional climax. You know, a lot of times we look at plots in terms of like uh or plot climax in terms of like action. But I would say this is probably an emotional climax for this character. You know, we've had sort of this building, this building, this building, and then we finally reach the point of like, okay. We you
1: know, we talked about that a little bit earlier about how the point of this book wasn't some big action scene. Right. The point of this book came down to Nesta embracing herself, embracing uh, her family and being able, or friends, you know, just her emotions mm-hmm. in general. It's interesting to me that she feels that she could have prevented her father's death and she didn't. But meanwhile, she could have actually prevented all of the stuff that happened to Farah, you know, mm-hmm. and that she just doesn't seem to feel that. Yeah you know so she's got all of this guilt over her father but meanwhile like things that she actually had power over that she didn't do you know don't seem to be quite as important to her
0: yeah the moment where she saves Feyre is her like redemptive moment right Or all of
1: the things that she did in the past Something else that I thought about when I was reading this. So Nesta often thought or said things in the book about how Feyre had help in her healing. You know, Feyre had the inner circle. But that's, yes, she had that support system. Nesta Mm -hmm. as well could have had that support system. And then she creates her own support system. But it ultimately comes down to the person. Yeah. You know, and that was the entire point of the Ouroboros mirror. Yeah. In Achaor right in the yeah. last book so that was that was the whole point of that you know um and it's interesting that Nesta doesn't really see that she just sees that oh Farah had all this help and yeah. I don't sort of thing yeah when she could have help she could have. and Farah definitely had things to work through that she struggled with you know that she had mm-hmm. to do herself the first time that Nesta stays in the river house as well. And she's brought to her room and she thinks um, this is precisely the sort of room she'd have designed for herself if she'd been given a chance. And then she remembers that she had been given a chance. Farah asked her what she wanted, right? And Nesta blew her off. And I think this is um, another scene where we see her grow you know, and yeah, but also to realize that people care for her. you mm-hmm. know, because think about how well Farah knows her in order to make a room that is exactly what Nesta would have de- like wanted. So I so I also felt like it was a testament to how much Farah like loves Nesta and her hope that Nesta would come and stay and they'd be able to have a relationship and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was another good scene. Yeah.
0: I did too. I liked this solstice gathering. It was oh, a lot less stressful than like holidays are stressful. Anyway, you can get secondhand stress from a book Christmas party. Like <laughs> this one was a lot less stressful than last year's. Um, Cassian's gift for Nesta. Oh my gosh. My heart was just like clenching because it was so sweet You know, he gave her that thing that stores, it's like an iPod, it's a magic iPod basically. But he had gone around and like recorded music from different places and the musicians from the solstice party that they had at the Hewn City um, with the Court of Nightmares, like he asked those musicians to play the songs again so he could capture him. Like he's just so thoughtful. Yeah. I I kind of feel like the story with the mortal queens and specifically with Brylin and Kosha was um, a little, I wish that there had been more. I don't know if that, because I feel like it with Brylin, it just ended really abruptly. Like we, in, it was introduced. It came up a couple of times in the story and then it was over I, I'm assuming there's going to be more with them involved, right? There's got to be.
1: Yeah, there has to be because there's still conflict going on, right? With the Autumn Court and everything. So I don't, that uh, we, you know, we talked about that a little bit earlier. We would have liked to see more kind of plot development like that. Just more in-depth understanding of things. Yeah. Because, like- Good. No, you go ahead. Because I was going to say, like, the only real motivation we got for, you know, Briallen, is that how you're saying Whatever. For her, um, was that she hates Nesta because yeah. she turned her into a crone. But, like, what? Like, that's... There's got to be more. Yeah. Is that it? Like, but It's this, a what? little petty, but okay. Yeah.
0: So, I have a couple of favorite quotes. One of them is like the mantra that Nesta, Gwen, Emery used. It's like the Valkyrie mantra. Um, And it's, I am the rock against which the surf crashes. Nothing can break me. I think that's how the second part of it goes. But I I really like that. Um, In one of the other books, we have this quote, and I think it's Reese saying it to Farah. Where he says, you decide what breaks you. You know, so many of these characters have experienced traumatic things. And I love the idea of using, you know, mantras can be really powerful. Affirmations can be really powerful. So using words like this to draw strength from. Uh, I I just think it's really it's empowering for them as they're training, but also that becomes really important. And they're, they're, it's kind of like their final test when they're, they're scaling uh, Mount Ramiel in the blood, right? So I really enjoyed that, that quote. It's just empowering. And then um, Cassian, gosh, she's so sweet. He says to Nesta, I have always been your friend, Nesta. Always. And my heart just, mm, it's just so sweet. And I, I, we, Cassian talks about some in this, in this book, how he's had to step back from their friendship, or if you would call it a friendship, he's had to step back from his interactions with her to protect himself. And I think that, I think that it's important to set boundaries. Like you can be, you can be friends with someone, um, and also set boundaries to keep yourself safe. And so. I like this acknowledgement that he's always been his, her friend, but I, I also like that he's been able to recognize when he's needed to step back and protect himself and to set boundaries to keep himself safe. And then at the starfall ceremony or the starfall party, when Nesta is making amends with Amryn, Amryn says, and acknowledging the darkness within her and within the house. Um, she said, Amryn says, that's the key. And it isn't it. To know the darkness will always remain, but how you choose to face it and handle it, that's the important part, to not let it consume, to focus on the good and the things that fill you with wonder. The struggle with that darkness is worth it to see, just to see such things. I really like this as a powerful statement. So much of this book has been Nesta coming to terms with like the darkness within her, and that's represented with the darkness that's frightening within the house and being able to identify that and to you know i she develops this unique relationships r- relationship with her house but she has this moment where she's like i see and acknowledge the darkness within the house and she she doesn't reject it anyway and i think that's a powerful statement you know we all have but that reminds me of harry potter a little bit too but you know we all have we all have darkness and lightness within us and it's not a matter of rejecting that darkness completely, but deciding how we, we cope with it.
1: So chapter 58, this is the uh, description that um, Mass gives us. Nesta let all that lay beyond those iron walls unspool towards him. Thread after thread of pure golden light flowed into him, and he met it with his own. Where those threads wove together, life glowed like starfire, and she had never seen anything more beautiful felt anything more beautiful I love that because of the imagery it just Mm -hmm. is gorgeous you know it's such a emotional sort of thing too um, for a sex scene and my next quote is forgiveness is something we also grant ourselves and I can talk to you until these mountains crumble around us but if you don't wish to be forgiven if you don't want to stop feeling feeling this way it won't happen Cassian says it's to Nesta when they're, um, on the hike. And I think that's just so true, obviously. Um, and part of healing yourself is, you know, everyone around you can forgive you. Right. And, but you still need to find that forgiveness in yourself, you yeah. know, everyone around you can say, no, we still love you, whatever. But if you don't believe them, if you don't believe in yourself and you don't believe that in your heart, then it won't happen. Yeah.
0: I so agree. I love this quote. I was going to use this as one of my favorites too. And I saw you had already put it down. Like it's, I, I agree with everything you just said. Uh, what are your final thoughts on this book?
1: Okay. I loved this book. I, you know, started it off as somebody who hated Nesta. Um, and I definitely don't hate her anymore. So I love this book. Um, I might read it again. The imagery in it was great. Mm-hmm. I, um, but I enjoyed it. You know, I had some issues with it and that we didn't get to see Cassian's development or growth really at all. I think that was probably my main um, issue with this book. But otherwise it was great. It's a great story of um, healing um, from PTSD and depression and creating your own little group, uh, support group and stuff. What were your thoughts? Oh, also the sex scenes were amazing just gonna agree throw
0: that in there those are like
1: mm, that
0: Go they on. were fun- fantastic i agree um i really enjoyed those bits uh and i've heard that we're gonna keep getting more of those sexy bits so 100 on board with that I really enjoyed the book. I would probably read it again. And I thought about reading it. So I read it last week and I thought about reading it again this week before we recorded just because I felt like I had so much to process. Um, But I had such a big, like I had such a book hangover after finishing it. Like emotionally, I was wrung out. So I feel like I probably need some time before I try to do this one again, but I really loved it. I loved seeing Nesta's growth. You know, there were some parts that I, I wish that we had gotten to see a little bit more of, but I trust in our author and note like, and I was anxious going into it, but. Sarah J. Mass is a, a genius when it comes to writing stories that we love. And so I was not disappointed and I can't, I mean, I'm already like, so when, when is the next one? coming out <laughs> so i mean i just i enjoyed it and i look forward to whatever comes next so that wraps up
1: a court of silver flames next week we're gonna cover a uh, discovery of witches by deborah harkness let join us for that that'll be exciting as well um i'll have to do a reread of the book for sure Same. it's been a while how I love that book been. So join us for that.
0: Yeah. Cool. Join us next week. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening to Literary Quest. We hope you enjoyed our episode. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we can be found at Literary Quest Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You're also welcome to share your thoughts and ideas with us via email at literaryquestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again.